Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Jeff Harding. I'm sitting in for Kyle Case. Joining me in studio today is Michelle Graves. Michelle, how are you? Hi, Jeff. I am great. It's great to have you back on the show with me because you've been on the show with Kyle, but not with me for a while. Yeah, we kind of flip-flop. I'm just the I'm just the fill-in wherever needed, so happy well, to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. You always do a great job. Michelle, I know you like to exercise and keep fit. Did you know that according to Money Talks News... There are some amazing benefits to keeping fit, especially after one turns 50. And I know that's important to you because you just had a special birthday. I did, and a special little vacation. And I am now, according to Huntsman World Senior Games terms, a senior. Yes, you are. I'm going to own it. (laughs) (laughs) So a researcher, a research scientist specializing in muscle health and aging, tells Money Talks Magazine, excuse me, news, that maintaining muscle health can improve energy levels and mobility, decrease risk of falls and fractures, and speed up recovery from illness. So we have some. We have five reasons here that you want to stay in shape, especially after you turn 50. The first one is you'll think more clearly. In addition, in addition to building muscles, exercise can help improve brain function. You can improve, you can perform better and remain competitive in the workplace. I was thinking of that. Um, yeah, I think that's a, I always say mental health. Mm-hmm. It helps me with my mental health. But yeah, I love that aspect. They say the magic number is 52 hours of aerobic exercise. After 52 hours, you start seeing the improvements in your mind and body of exercising. So you just after you so you only have to do for 50, not not consecutive, not contiguous. No, there's a big new study that's saying that even if you start exercising in your latter life, you can have the same benefits. So uh-huh. 52 hours is the breaking point, right? right. So you so just once you, you catch that, right back once up. Once you reach that milestone, then you're there. Yeah, that's I like that. That's great. Okay, so um, number two says you'll spend less on medical care, which is. A big concern these days. So sticking to regular exercise can improve your health, meaning that you'll spend less time and money at the doctor's. That's according to the Mayo Clinic. Regular exercise can help prevent or manage a wide range of health problems, including health, stroke, high blood pressure, depression, and many types of cancer. And you can save money on life insurance. If you stay fit, you can also save money on your life insurance because underwriters base policies of on your risks. And if you're healthy, you have a lower risk, so your your the cost of insurance is less. Yeah, and I really like that idea um, that you can save money by by working at it. Um, the next one is that you don't need extra equipment or a gym membership. Um, the newest physical activity guidelines for America. For Americans, say the federal government recommends that older adults get a minimum of two and a half hours of moderately intense aerobic exercise each week. So um, if you can't buy a gym membership or expensive equipment, you can get fit um, just by doing your daily routine, walking to the supermarket, taking stairs instead of elevators. And I happen to love that. And you're really good at this one, keeping sneakers under your desk for lunch hour walks. Well, I do lunch hour walks, but I just wear the shoes that I'm wearing on my walks. Because you wear tennis shoes most days. Yes, I do. Because we have a great office that way. Yes, we do. Okay, ride an exercise bike while you watch TV. And everyday activities such as gardening or housework contribute to fitness too. So count it, I think, is what it's saying. Count that right. movement. Right. Um, well, all movement's good. Yes, And the last one is you'll feel happier. There's a strong connection between physical fitness and happiness. In addition to boosting your energy, exercise can elevate your mood. Physical activity stimulates brain chemicals that can make you feel more relaxed and reduce anxiety. The Mayo Clinic reports as a bonus that you may feel better about your appearance, raising your your self-esteem. Yeah, when you look better, you feel better. When you feel better, you look better. Right. (laughs) That idea. I think there's some truth to that. Absolutely. It makes sense. Well... 
So those are the five tips that we've got, and I think there's some great ones. And joining us in studio today from the Alzheimer's Association, we have Mike Miller. Mike, welcome. Hey, good afternoon. Good to be here. Nice to be on the show today. So, Mike, you're you're the regional representative or director of the, the local chapter of the Alzheimer's Association, correct? Right. I'm down here in St. George in our office, and we're serving a five-county area, which we opened up last August. Well, great. And Mike moved from Ohio last June to be close to his granddaughter and for the warmer weather, and he's anxious to fish for trout in Utah streams this summer because you have to go north to do that. You can't do that down here. I understand, yeah, but I, ke- I still keep waiting for that warm weather everybody promised. This just hasn't happened so far. Well, it's warmer than you were in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, I've escaped the polar vortex. I'm happy about that. Yes. <laughs> and it's coming, and before you know it, you may be, not like it as much as you You'll be wondering what happened you. to the cool weather, yeah. Yes. Oh. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Alzheimer's. That's a disease that strikes fear into the heart of most people, I think. It does. It's that diagnosis nobody wants, and um, it, it, it's, it's tragic. It's that disease with no cure and no treatment, and we're trying to uh, uncover what the uh, solution may be to uh, helping people overcome that disease, but at this point, we've not discovered that, so we're working on some lifestyle issues and uh, pouring money into research to keep uh, looking for that cure. So give us an idea of what Alzheimer's is. I mean, there's dementia, there's all, dementia. Not all dementia is Alzheimer's, and not all Alzheimer's is dementia. What is Alzheimer's? All right. So Alzheimer's is a form of dementia, and dementia is a general term for memory loss and, and a loss of cognitive abilities. But 60 to 80 percent of dementia cases are Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So a huge, uh, a huge part of that. Part of that. Um, Alzheimer's is not a normal part of aging. That's one of those myths that out that's out there. Everybody sort of has a mindset. Well, sooner or later, I'm going to get Alzheimer's if I live long enough. Not true. <laughs> no. So you're in luck. Even yep. you, Michelle. <laughs> Good to know. Got, Good yeah. to know. Much longer to live at this point than I do. Oh, that, okay. She's much younger than I. But well, the average age for dementia is like 65 or something, right? That's that's sort of a tipping point. Okay. Um, so there's a young onset Alzheimer's early age, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's for under 65. There's actually about 200,000 individuals here in the United States with uh, young onset Alzheimer's. So the other 5.2 million or so are uh, over 65, bringing us up to about 5.8 Americans living with Alzheimer's. Well, let me just throw it, well, just on that point, I had a former neighbor who passed away in her early 50s from Alzheimer's. Okay. So it, it can hit a young person. It doesn't oh, yes. have to be an old person. So don't, that's a misconception that you think it's only old people. So, yeah. And that's statistically, right. do you know, it's like, is it like one in 20 or do we know those numbers? We, we do know the numbers. And so at, at age 65, one in 10 individuals have Alzheimer's and then it becomes uh, two out of three at 85 and older. Wow. It isn't always diagnosed. And that's one of the issues coming into play nowadays that, um, has been around for quite a while. The uh, the disease can manifest itself for for years, and then symptoms may be a little bit more pronounced, and then a diagnosis, and then the progression of the disease continues. Could be over a span of four to ten years or more. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Yep, so it's a long time. And so it, what what happens to the brain when it gets Alzheimer's? Well, there's um, some proteins that are coming into play into the neurological um, pathways in the brain. Think of that traffic jam in L.A. or Phoenix at 5 p.m. when cars aren't moving. Yeah. When those plaques take over into your brain, those uh, electronic signals through the neurons are not moving. 
And so as that stops, your memory starts to um, shut down, your brain starts shutting down. And with Alzheimer's, early memory is what's going first. You might forget a conversation that you just had two minutes before. And so that's a hallmark of Alzheimer's, early brain um, issues and memory issues. So it's really important that people engage their brain over life. Yeah. And, and as you're older, pick up some new skills. And that doesn't mean just work on a crossword puzzle because that's just pulling words up that you might already have in your vocabulary and mind. But got some props here. So you might want to pick up the guitar even though you've never played music. That's going to exercise your brain and that that exercise creates more neurological pathways, giving you more options for your brain to work. So learning new things, as you mentioned earlier, exercise is really key because exercise keeps you limber, keeps your mind active. And in addition to physical exercise, socially active people have a much better chance of decreasing their um, uh, cognitive decline because they're socially active. There's, there's a reason to live. There's people I hope to see. And it is a positive outlook that can really help influence your brain activity. So is heredity, does heredity play a, uh, a role in Alzheimer's or is it, is it just a kind of a non-factor? Because the reason I ask is my, my father-in-law's mother had dementia. I don't know whether there was Alzheimer's or not, but she had dementia. And he had a brother that died from Alzheimer's and he's had dementia, but not Alzheimer's for mm. 10, 15 years. Okay. It, it can be a factor. So um, here's the three greatest risk factors that come into play. First one is being age, being over 65, like uh, Michelle mentioned. Then there's a gene. It's called the E4 form of the APOE gene. Of course. APOE wow. gene. You can look that That's up. That's easy to remember. That's very easy, yep. Um, and then you combine that with family history. So those are three things that combine to really um, increase your chances of, of having the disease. It's not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's why a diagnosis is important. Right. And just for instance, there's a couple of other maladies going on that can mimic the symptoms of Alzheimer's. What are they? Dehydration? Well, gee, yeah, what happens here true. in St. George and yeah. southern Utah? Hot summers, people dehydrate. What other symptoms could be something mimicking Alzheimer's? Vitamin B12 deficiency. Same type of thing that can occur. Some symptoms are mimicking Alzheimer's. Oh, Joe's got Alzheimer's. Let's go see the doctor and get a proper diagnosis. Um, lower blood flow to the brain. That's uh, something that will slow down your brain and its activity and ability to work. And that's another symptom that if you can get that corrected, which can be corrected um, often, then those symptoms go away. And, and great news, you don't have Alzheimer's. So... Proper diagnosis is really important here. That's and how, talk about how does a doctor diagnose it? How do you? Okay. There's some simple tests they can uh, conduct in the office. And, and even though I'll share a couple of these uh, test protocols, don't try these at home, okay? Go to the professional. <laughs> yeah. But they'll give an individual four or five words and they'll say, okay, I'm going to give you these words and we'll talk about them in 15, 20 minutes. And they'll see what the recall level is of those particular words. Oh, so it's a cognitive test. Cognitive test. Asking an individual to draw a clock and see if they can put those 12 numbers in the circle and then a particular time. So that's just an initial test, a couple of things like that. And then if, if there's some indicators that there's some cognitive decline, then we're going to go maybe into a different level of testing. You want to identify what type of dementia it might be and confirm that. And that could mean that that general physician takes that step 
or maybe the individuals referred to a neurologist or a psychologist for that, that secondary step to make sure we have the right diagnosis. Which is like a brain scan because you you probably are able to see some of that decline by scan? Well, um, you can do a PET scan. That's kind of a new new development over the last 15, 20 years that the Alzheimer's Association helped put into place. So the brain scan, the, the PET scan is non-invasive. It can show a lack of activity in the brain because of the atrophy and the, and the lack of uh, neurons moving. So that would confirm some neurological issues in that brain. Um, doesn't always have to be a PET scan. Those are pretty expensive right now and Insurance doesn't cover that all the time. So there's fur- further levels of testing that are non-invasive that can be done from uh, the doctor's office. Because the brain does look like it's atrophied. Oh, it, yes. In, okay, so the, yeah, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So the, um, the testing is a lot um, similar to what they test for when you have a concussion, it sounds like. How is concussion related to Alzheimer's? Well, um, As you ask that question, traumatic brain injury can be a cause of Alzheimer's. So wear a helmet when you're out riding that bike and you might be worried about your appearance. Well, too bad. Look crazy, but have a healthy brain if you fall off that bike or the skateboard. I always told my kids that. Your your bones will heal, (laughs) your bruises will heal, but your brain will not. (laughs) Yeah, you get one brain and let's keep it healthy. So the helmet is really important. So concussion... Car wrecks, accidents can um, really cause some damage to your brain, which which you don't want to have happen. So you're listening to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life, and we're visiting with Mike Miller, who is the regional uh, manager for the Utah chapter of the Alzheimer's Association. We're discussing Alzheimer's disease. Now, you, before you mentioned a few of the things that can decrease the, the chances, what are some more things that will decrease the chances of, of, of getting Alzheimer's? All right. I've got great news for folks. Remember the number 120. Okay, 120. I remember that. That's not how many miles don't ask to me, run. Don't ask me in five minutes. But He's going right to ask you at the end of the show. I was going to say that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so 120. It's a test. That's the threshold number for blood pressure. And we just last summer had the study that showed us the results that that level, keeping your blood pressure b- below that number, decreases your chance of getting Alzheimer's. And so what, are, what do you do to lower your blood pressure? I'm not going to say that medicine is the best... Um, uh, way to uh, attack that. I think lifestyle issues that you hear constantly from I your agree. doctor about certain things. And what does that include? Wellness and exercise, less sodium in your diet, cutting back on caffeine, rats, no more coffee in the morning. Not <laughs> no more, just cut back yeah. one cup instead of four, okay? Yeah. Um, manage your stress, lose some weight and quit smoking. I mean, those are coming from the Mayo Clinic and some other sources. We hear those all the time. The trick is let's implement what we know so we get a better result as we live our life. I mean, we want to be active, walking, having fun with our grandkids as we grow older. Let's invest some things in our body right now so we're able to do that in the future. Well, great. So um, uh, are there anything – is there anything, any new news that's coming out about uh, cognitive impairment? There is. um, Interesting report. We we do an annual report – and just last week, the association announced uh, an interesting phenomenon. And if, if you're over 65, you know you have a wellness visit, part of your program, no cost to go in and see your, uh, your, your doctor. Part of that can be um, a cognitive assessment, no charge for that. But here's the dynamic. The doctor expects the patient to ask for this cognitive assessment. 
because you've come in for some reason. Your, your knee hurts, your back hurts, you've got a, a rash or something. They're expecting you to ask for cognitive assessment. But guess what? The patient is also thinking the doctor is going to say, hey, Mary, would you like your cognitive assessment? Let's, uh, let's get that done. Yeah. So, so both groups think the other one will ask, and consequently nobody does. So that baseline test is not done, and no, nobody is, is getting that assessment. Not nobody. Uh, not as many people as could and should are having that assessment. So very interesting uh, result to look at. Now, it's interesting because most of us have, have health insurance that, cover, that covers an annual exam. Sure. But I've, I have found that my annual exam is only as intense as I make it. Mm-hmm. The doctor is more than happy to just say, okay, your blood pressure is okay, whatever, go away, bye-bye. Right. So I have to ask. I have to say, okay, I have this. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about that. And then he'll address those issues for me. Totally. He or she, but in my case, it's a he. will address those issues for you. So it's the same thing with your cognitive wellness. You need to say, I want to have a cognitive exam, especially if you're getting in that, in that range where it's, it's probably more critical. You bet. And, and the study also found that when patients ask for that study – more than often, you know, almost 99, 100% of the time, they, they said, yeah, let's, let's do that cognitive assessment. So it's an awareness issue and uh, something you need to be an advocate for, which is your own health, as you work with your health care providers. Well, and that's true. With, I mean, as, and Michelle, I'm sure you're aware that you have to be an advocate for your own health. Yes, definitely. And, and that's interesting. I'd like to see that more across the board, like even mm. for um, kids' physicals. You know, why aren't we addressing the mental health status as we are the physical health status? So how do we change that? That's, Gr- grass, it sounds like it's really roots. important in Alzheimer's oh, oh, research. It is. And so part of our new theme is lifestyle issues, and that includes taking better care of yourself, but also being your own best advocate. Mm-hmm. Remember to ask for that cognitive assessment when you go in for your annual um, checkup. And also remember to go in for the annual checkup. All those things come into play. Well, and then as you were saying with your children, when you go in with your children, make sure that I, I found that I, if I'm thinking about my annual checkup, I start thinking, I need to talk about this, this, this. I think about it. But if I don't uh-huh. write it down, uh, yes. if I don't make a, an actual list, I'll cover about half of them when I get in there. Mm-hmm. And I'll forget the other half. And so then I have to wait another year because I can't afford to go to the doctor otherwise because <laughs> I have a high deductible, you know. There you go. So yeah. so make a list. Don't be afraid to write that, a list that down. That list is good because we might feel intimidated or we get distracted or the doctor comes and goes out of the office. If you have that list of four things, check them off. Bring the pencil in. Bring the three-by-five card in with your list. Or don't sure, be afraid to hand the list to idea. the healthcare provider and say, here, these sure. are things I'm concerned about. And, and they'll make that note and then the doctor will talk to you about them. But make a copy for yourself too. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So it's even playing field in there. Uh-huh. Well, tell us a little bit about um, the work that the Alzheimer's Association does, just so we have an overview. Because I know you're a great resource to go online and read about and oh, yes. find out information. But what else do you do in your association? Um, so, so just back to that resource of online, everything from videos to printed material and uh, resources are there for people 24-7. We also have a 24-7 helpline. This is a national resource. And what is great about that, master's level social workers are there, and folks can call that number anytime for a very mundane question, or health care professional can call with something very specific. Here's the number. Write it down. Don't forget, 800-272-3900. We can help you with 200 different languages, so don't let anything keep you from making a call to that. Here at our office here in St. George, we conduct support groups for caregivers, and they're the unsung hero here, carrying that burden of caring for a loved one. And often 
they just they need help. They need resources. They need ideas on how to work through this life draining process. They can be in depression. They can be in very physical um, in, in, in negative physical shape because of this uh, effort of of caring for the loved one. And we want to help them, so we do that through the support groups and conversation. And I think that's a very important thing to remember that if you are a caregiver, you have to mm. take care of yourself first. You're not going to yes. have the energy to take care of the person you're taking care of. So you have to do, have to take care of yourself. I've seen many people whose lives have declined because they've devoted their whole life to, to giving care, which is important, but they've neglected themselves in their care process. So that's a very important thing to remember. But it's also yes. really great to know that if you're the caregiver, that you're not alone in um, in what you're going through. Well, and sure. these support groups are really great for that, just to find out you know, how you're friends, mother is doing, and this mm-hmm. and that. And you can learn a lot just from being a part of a support group. I really like that aspect and that resource. We're still breaking through the barrier of the disease being a bit of a stigma, not a lot of knowledge in, in, in the ground forces of people that are the caregivers and even the myths that are still carrying over from 15, 20, 30 years ago. So the caregiver element is, is really crucial. It, it takes, on average, three caregivers unpaid to, to help one person with the disease. Oh, yeah. That's the numbers, three to one. I can wow. see that. Um, and so that, that's big. So we want to support the caregivers. The other, uh, I mean, educational programs are, are what we like to do also. And if, if you're hearing, hearing this show, I'd love to come to your community, your church group, your fraternity or service club to talk about the disease how it could impact your own family, how you can be an advocate and a, and a resource in, in your community group. So we go out and, and offer that kind of education. And then um, we also promote awareness and research. Research is big, as, as we spoke a little bit earlier. The disease was discovered back in 1905. Here we are more than 100 years later, haven't quite pinpointed the way to remove those plaques and tangles that are in the brain uh, causing those uh, neurological impulses not to be able to move. So that's a big issue. We're still working on that. Mm-hmm. And we advocate for research monies for projects here in Utah and even across the country through the association and then through National Institute of Health, where we've just kind of crossed this major milestone of, of $2 billion available for research. Wow. And it costs a lot for research. It does. And you have a fundraiser that you do every year. Yes, we do. And what is that? It's the Walk to End Alzheimer's on September 14th. Is that national or is that just in St. George? That's our St. George Walk. We have eight walks here in Utah. It's a national initiative with 600 walks throughout the U.S. Mm-hmm. Does it all? Do they all take place in September? No, they start in August. Um, we've, we've seen them in September and also into November. So uh, depending on where you are, that kind of dictates when your walk is. We're going to be at Dixie State. We'll have 500 or more people out. We'll have... Grandpa and grandma there, kids and strollers, everybody in between. There'll be people there with Alzheimer's. Others will be walking in memory of their loved ones. We make it an event to memorialize and honor, support, educate, and just bring the whole disease to a higher level of of awareness so that we can do the right things for our loved ones. So wherever you are, you can find an Alzheimer's Association walk that you can help fund. You can help to help raise funds for them, right? We need that's to right. raise funds. Yes. We've got to find a cure for this. Yeah, that's right. Really so we have about a minute issue. or so left, Mike. Okay. So why don't you tell us what your website is and then and then uh, just what's your last statement about, just give us one last, remember, by the way, 120, I remember that. Yes. So You're good. <laughs> You're good. You passed. So just give us one last statement about Alzheimer's and something we want to take away from this. All right. Our 
Website, super easy, alz.org. Again, that's alz.org. Go there and you can you can put in the word St. George or Utah and you'll, you'll kind of get to our local sites. But that's the place for all things Alzheimer's, including signing up for our walk and taking part in that. Our local phone number is 435-238-4998. Again, that's 435-238-4998. I look forward to talking to folks that give us a call. And I'll just end with the uh, mission of the Alzheimer's Association, and that is to uh, rid rid the uh, world of Alzheimer's disease. That's great. Now, we'll, just so everybody knows, we have Mike scheduled again for about a month from now for some more talk on Alzheimer's because this is an important topic. So we just want everybody to know that this is not the end of this. We're gonna, we're, this is something we're going to talk about. So thank you for joining us, Mike. We appreciate it. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. Yes. That was great. So remember to join us each and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life on St. George News Radio, 1450 a.m. You can also listen to this or any past shows at www.seniorgames.net. You can also subscribe to our podcast just by searching Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life on Google Play Store or iTunes. And uh, Michelle, 2019 is running by. We've already had 2,200 athletes sign up to participate in Huntsman World Senior Games. This easy sign up. Uh, just go to one of the 30 sports. Just go to www.seniorgames.net and register or call our office at 1-800-562-1268. It's just that easy. And our, our thought for the day, our quote for the day is, all our dreams can't come true if we have the courage to pursue them. That's by Walt Disney. So until next time, stay active, everyone. See you later. See you later.